stop and take a trip down on my block When you see hidden potential, young minds sharper than pencil And ain't afraid to speak their mind if they got something against you We standing with you, we tackle issues like civic pride Hate will cease to exist, let's put our differences aside From my side to your side, from Dutch Town to South Side From Penrose to North Side, from Benton Park to Old North to West End to West Side We bless when we step out, we stand down, rise up, stand together, wise up this is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. This is Stitchcast Studio Live, and our latest episode recorded at Shaw Nature Reserve. We feature master storyteller Bobby Norfolk. Listen closely as he takes a deep dive into the natural origin of prairies and his immense experiences with nature. Check it out. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. This is Bobby Norfolk, and I am reaching out to you from the Dana Brown Overnight Center at the Shaw Preserve in Gray Summit, Missouri, and let's get busy. Why don't we start from the beginning? The beginning is when the First Nation indigenous people populated this land. They say that according to legend, they came across the Bering Straits from the other continents when all these continents were bunched together. And then as Teutonic plates started to shift, the seven continents began to expand around the planet. And then the oceans came in. And then the migration of human population began all over the planet Earth. We have four elements that we deal with when we talk about nature and the prairie. We have water, the earth, the wind, the sun. And I want to talk about, first of all, the earth. The earth is not dirt, okay? That's what's under your bed. When you talk about plants and what grows the prairie, it's soil. Because I remember vividly when I did a program for the St. Louis Zoo, somebody had called and asked one of the ecologists if they had any dirt to spare. I said, well, we don't have any dirt, but we do have soil. So let's be clear about that distinction, first of all. Then there's the wind. That's what creates all the different temperatures and the jet stream. Sun sits 93 million miles away from Earth, light traveling at 186,000 miles per second. It takes eight minutes for that light to reach the planet. And then we have water. Time is like a river. You cannot touch the same water twice because the flow that has passed will never pass again. And that is to say the Continental Divide, the Rocky Mountains as we know it now, that Lewis and Clark encountered when they got with the Shoshone and the Mandan Indians and all the other nations that lived out in the Pacific Northwest, what they found out that geographically the Rocky Mountains is a Continental Divide. And so all the ice and snow that melts and goes east finds its way to the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico. And all the water that flows west eventually finds its way down to the Pacific Ocean. When settlers started to settle this land we now call America, they had to leave St. Louis. And so they got outfitted and supplied and they left St. Louis in May. And they walked 20 miles a day. No such thing as a train back then. No cars, no station wagons, certainly no airplanes. And they walked 20 miles a day in covered wagons. So they had several trails that they traversed over. 
the Santa Fe Trail, the Oregon Trail, the Overland Trail. And every night, <laughs> without fail, night comes. And when nighttime comes, there were no street lights, no car lights, no flashlights. And so the only thing that people saw, darkness. And in that darkness, on a clear night, you could see this huge white band called the Milky Way, part of the Milky Way galaxy that we are part of. Trillions of stars, also called suns, solar systems, all banded together. And that's how storytelling came about. Because when you started lighting the campfire, everybody had all their little meals, which was usually beans and rice and biscuits and some of that coffee that was so strong that you threw it against the wall and it stuck there. And then they told stories until the sun would rise. There was one party that was not so uh, lucky, let me say. They were called the Donner Party. The Donner Party were told that they could get a shortcut across the Sierra Nevada mountains and they could get all the way to Oregon in California before the October snows. It didn't work. They got lost up in the high Sierras. And when they got lost, it snowed 18 feet, not inches, feet. And so about 150 people were stranded for about four months. The food ran out. Then they ate the livestock. When the livestock was gone, whoever died in camp became dinner. And so they learned some important lessons about going across what was called the Great American Desert. And let me back up the Great American Desert. The breadbasket of America right now are the Great Plains. That's where all the prairies reside. But people thought back in the 1840s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 1890s that you had to get across the Great Prairie to get to the promised land of California and Oregon. And then later on, they found out, oh, this is a breadbasket. I guess we can stop here in some of these western states and state claims. But little did they know or care that there were other people living on those lands before they came across the great American desert. Some people call it home. Those were the indigenous people. And these indigenous people, they knew about the four elements of nature. They knew about the four directions. So four was a mystical, it was a very uh, sacred number to them. You have the four seasons. Some people think that summer is the first season. First season is spring, the birth of nature. You are an infant nature. And then as summertime starts to come, nature becomes a teenager. And then when fall comes, that's when the gray comes in our hair, people. And we gain wisdom, some of us. And then winter comes, and that's the death of nature. Oh, but the great cycle continues because what goes around comes around. Because after winter comes what? Spring. And so the cycle continues. So the native people knew about this. And so when they built the teepee, uh, let's have a uh, spelling bee. TP is phonetic when you learn it in school. T-E-E-P-E-E-T-P. But the native people spelled it T-I-P-I. TP. Translation, place in which to live. And they built the TP, and the TP was a construction of the woman. It was the woman's property. The man owned the horses. The woman owned the TP. <laughs> Not too much has changed 
in society as a, a woman owns the house, man owns the car. You get on up out of here and keep rolling. I take the house and you come see the kids on the weekend. I digress because what happened was that the TP is made with 12 buffalo skin. Now, to make a TP, what the woman would do, she would scrape off the fat and the hair from the bison. And then she would take the animal's brain and she would create a brain tanning solution. And that would be rubbed into the fabric of the skin and then dried out on a smoke fire. That would tan it and waterproof it. When it was tanned and waterproof, then she took sinew, muscle tendon, runs down the bison's spine behind each of his four legs, and she would take an awl. It was a sharp bone from the bison skeleton, and she would thread that sinew and then take the awl and stitch the 12 skins together. Lodgepole pine, which uses the framework. And so she shaved off all the bark from the lodgepole pine and then created that framework and then she wrapped the teepee cover around and then stitched it in the front with long wooden spikes. There was a smoke flap at the top. We'll get back to that in a minute. So when you enter the teepee, you just didn't go in randomly and sit anywhere. It was system in order, just like the four seasons, just like the four elements of nature. You walked into the teepee from the east all TP doors faced east. That bears repeating. All TP doors faced east. I had somebody at a high school say, why? <laughs> I'll tell you why. The indigenous people thought that the sun comes up in the left part of the sky, and then it does a path around the south of the sky, and then it settles to the right. So when you walked into the TP, you start to the left, and you look down on the TP floor, and all you see is all the women's things right over there on the left. Then you go to the rear of the teepee, high noon, the man's place of honor. Then you go full circle toward the right. Oh, there's a baby doll and an action figure. Oh, we know who hangs out here. The fire is built in the center. And for fuel, if you didn't have wood, you burn buffalo chips. Buffalo chips, do not confuse this with potato chips. The bison buffalo gets up to six feet tall, weighs 2,000 pounds, his only diet, grass. And eventually, the animal has to go potty. Okay, basic biological function of nature, people. You eat, you potty. And so when the bison's waste matter sits out on that ground for a few days, sun, air works on it, you pick it up, it's a big solid disc, and you set it on fire, it burns with a radiant heat like charcoal. It glows and it has no offensive odor. So in the wintertime, the fire would be built in the center, smoke flaps. The woman had these long poles. And so if the prevailing winds would be going from west to east, the smoke would come up to the teepee and then the woman would turn the flaps according to, to the prevailing winds and the smoke would be pulled away from the interior of the teepee. So no smoke asphyxiation inside the teepee. When the peace pipe was smoked, the peace pipe would be given from left to right. It was a ritual of prayer. So when the tobacco was stuffed inside the parfleche, and then the man would inhale the smoke, he would hold a prayer in his mind. As he released the tobacco smoke from his lungs, he thought the prayer carried up with the smoke to the great spirit of the great mystery. And that is the ritual 
of the peace pipe going from left to right. If it were summertime, where summer comes every season in the Great Plains, the woman would take the flaps, open them up full wide, and then she would let the winds come through the bottom. You would roll up the bottom of the teepee and the winds would come from the bottom and then roll through the top. Now you had a shaded breezeway. If it rained, remember it was tanned and waterproofed. And so all the rainwater that would come down from the top of the teepee would simply cling to the sap. And the sap would cling on with the water and all the water would flow down like an elaborate drainage pipe system. When I was working at the Gateway Arch back in the day, somebody said that there were a group of engineers from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, otherwise known as MIT, and they tried to build a TP from their own design on the quadrangle at MIT. It failed miserably. When the United States Army started going across the Great Plains to settle the West, so to speak, they had Army pup tents. It was miserable all four seasons of the year whereas the TP was comfortable all four seasons of the year. An inner flap could even be put into the TP, and so that inner flap would hold in the heat even more. And so if you were on a hilltop and looking down at the TP village at night, it would look like these glowing candles, like people when they're trying to make their way to a party at somebody's house at nighttime. You would see the glowing teepees. It made a beautiful, beautiful sight at nighttime. So when the teepee was dismantled, everything was rolled up. It was put on the back of the horse, and it would then go with the horse and the native tribes to another place. If people got sick, the prairie plants was their medicine. There was no CVS, no Walgreens, and so <laughs> the earth was the medicine itself. That is the power of the prairie. And they found this out all over the planet through <laughs> cause and effect. If you eat the wrong plant, you die. You eat the right plant, you live. They didn't have any doctors or pharmacists to tell them that it was all trial and error. And so today, when we have all of these different weeds, as we call them, the weed is a definition for a plant that humans haven't found a use for. And so when you take the right plant or the right spice and you cook it together like turmeric and cumin, and oregano and paprika. These are all things that grow out of the ground. They don't just come out of the supermarket, out of the spice section, people. They come from the ground. Plants and herbs are medicine. Then you have the 1890s that came, and then we had the Industrial Revolution. People thought they had conquered nature. Uh, let me be clear about this. You cannot conquer nature. You can learn to live with nature, but people got this weird, crazy idea that nature was something to be defeated and overcome. The Indians knew that you live in concert with nature. As a matter of fact, there was this activist comedian, Dick Gregory, who was walking with some people in Louisiana from one of the indigenous nations, and they looked up at a constellation of stars, and the elder said that on a certain night, there's a star that you have to look at, 
and then there is a meteor that goes to that cluster of stars. And if that does not happen, the rice crop will fail in Louisiana. That year, that meteor did not come through that cluster of stars and the rice crop failed. So the indigenous people knew this intuitively, the cause and effect through trial and error. And so what you have then is people that must, you must educate yourself on the natural order of things in order for a big appreciation of the prairie to come into your consciousness. That is why we have so many problems with climate change. You have the glaciers melting. You have droughts over here. You have fires over there. They have hurricanes that have not been seen in terms of their velocity in all of recorded time. And that is because we have offended the natural order. So if we get back to where the Indians said, you must obey nature and live in concert with it. They, they thought, how can you sell the smell that comes across the prairie when the wind blows the aroma of flowers? How can you sell the sparkle that you see across the water when sunlight hits the water? It looks like sparkling diamonds. And so they knew this, and that's where people thought they're savages. And so Christianity is trying to create a condition that would beat this knowledge and this wisdom out of the savages. And so Indian uh, boarding schools were created, and then the Indian's hair was cut. And then if they didn't talk English, they were beaten and sometimes worse. And so this is all coming back to the fore now in a lot of schools and truth and reconciliation councils about how brutal the Indian boarding schools were. There's another man I want to talk about, Dr. George Washington Carver. Before this man was one year old, he had been enslaved, he had been kidnapped, he was left on the ground in the forest in southern Missouri to die, and then he was emancipated in 1865, all before he was one year old, went on to become one of the most creative chemists, chemists in all of recorded time. They called him the creative chemist, as a matter of fact. For example, one thing that he did at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, the cotton was king in the southern states. And so all of a sudden, all the cotton began to create a problem for the industry. And then the boll weevil came. The boll weevil worked its way up through Mexico, started eating up everything in sight that was made out of cotton. And then it worked its way up into Texas. And then it looped around and came into the seaboard around the Gulf of Mexico. Dr. George Washington Carver started to study this. He said, what we need to do is rotate the crops on the plains and on the farms. He found out that the cotton was depleting the soil. And what you have to do is stop planting cotton and then you plant okra and soybeans. You plant sweet potatoes. And that is what happened. And then peanuts and all of those different crops like peanuts and soybeans and okra put nitrogen back into the soil. When a nitrogen replenished the soil, boom, the crops grew. And that's what makes him 
one of the first organic farmers that we know in history, especially in these United States. There are some quotes in terms of how some of the people viewed the Great Plains. George Catlin in 1841 said, the prairie's burning, the prairie's burning forms some of the most beautiful scenes that are to be witnessed in the country and also some of the most sublime. Every acre of these vast prairies being covered for hundreds and hundreds of miles with crop of grass, which dies and dries in the fall, burns over during the fall and early in the spring, leaving the ground of a black and doleful color. In the National Park Service, they have what's called prescribed burns. <laughs> and you have to be very careful about these prescribed burns because if you're not careful, you can burn two states down very easily. And so they wait for the winds to die down. And they call it the doldrums. When there's no wind, then the wind can't carry the fire across thousands of acres. And so you burn that underbrush. And then when the underbrush is burned, it regrows and replenishes the soil and all the crops that have been seeded from the winter before. So the native people knew this too about prescribed burns and they set these little fires on purpose to regrow the seedlings, to grow more powerful and more abundant crops. Sir William Francis Butler, 1872 said, and I quote, no ocean of water in the world can vie with his gorgeous sunsets. No solitude can be equal to the loneliness of night shadowed prairie. One feels the stillness and hears the silence. The wall of the prowling wolf makes the voice of solitude audible. The stars look down through the infinite silence upon a silence almost as intense. This ocean has no past. Time has been naught to it, and men have come and gone, leaving behind them no track, no vestige of their presence. That is why in the national parks, they say what you take into the park, you bring it out. You don't want to leave trash and debris and refuse all over these national areas. You bring it in, you cart it back out. Because if you don't, then you destroy the natural order of things. Sir William Francis Butler, 1872. The great ocean itself does not present more infinite variety than does this prairie ocean of which we speak. In winter, a dazzling surface of the purest snow. In early summer, a vast expanse of grass and pale pink roses. In an autumn, too, too often, a wild sea of raging fire. The idea of leaving St. Louis and going across 2,000 miles to get to California and Oregon is part of the United States Great American Experiment. And you don't even have to go west of St. Louis. I was working with a principal at a school in Illinois near Chicago, and I was going past these huge fields of black, rich soil, and I had never seen soil that rich and black before. And I asked the principal as he was taking me to his school, I say, how is that soil so dark and black? He said, that is how soil originally looked before people started putting chemicals in it, 
trying to kill the plants that were invasive or the insects that they wanted to destroy to make more crops. And then they covered over all this black, rich soil with strip malls, subdivisions. So all of this rich soil now was covered with pavement. And then when the sun hits that pavement, what does it do? The natural order of things, it reflects the heat. So now you can't grow because there's pavement covering the soil and then the reflection coming back from the sun creates a condition called climate change. So what we need to do, if we want to survive this century, we need to understand all these things very, very carefully and live in concert with the natural order of things because we don't have a second chance at this. And you can see this from space. You have people now looping around the planet and some people, I don't know how we got back to the 15th century where people think the earth is flat. There's a group called the Flat Earth Society. They actually exist. And when these satellites that carry humans around the planet at 17,000 miles per hour, they see the curvature of the earth and they look back and they see that we are all one. We're not separate entities. We're not separate continents. We're not separate nations. We're not separate religions and races. We are all one on this big blue marble, the planet Earth made of 75% water. And then it's curved. And so when the sun comes up, as the Indians say in the left part of the sky, does that south path and then sets in the right, that is how the natural order thing things work. And so let's understand this thing very carefully. Hey, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time for our Picture City of Art interlude, featuring an original piece by Story Stitcher's artist, KP and Integrity, called To the Prairie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where we going to? Straight to the prairie. To the prairie. That's a long Yellow blue, so many colors in this habitat Even though I'm city slick, I'm not afraid to travel back Way out to the countryside, hit that native grassland Tranquil in the sunny meadows, we thought we was advanced Ain't no sounds of ambulance, sirens or the boys in blue Tonight devoid of gunshots, but nature makes some noises too The moist dew saturates the green pastures This flows like the motion of the waves in the ocean To master this environment, acquiring and managing Restore it to its original state that it was planted in So if the planet ends, at least you saw its majesty Put your phone on airplane mode and we'll be right back after this Messages, reception is a barrier, connect for real The wilderness is therapy, escapism to let you chill Historic regions where the wildflower stretches Warm season, grass species, territory so precious Let's go, let's take a ride, hop in the car, take a drive To the prairie, where the grass always green on the other side Nearly 
six feet. None would he acre after acre, take a quick peek. You ever see the stars at night without traffic and street lights? It's like we in the Milky Way without passing that peace pipe. Coyotes and coyotes, prairie dogs and buffalo. Educating investigators, it's all depends on what you know. So cultivating, we procreate. We indigenous to the stony state. We authenticate, but we demonstrating. It's just one rule. Don't be fake. This rich soil substrate is glaciated like ice age. I think I need to get away from my hood where I stay. We protect that wildlife. The game is restoration. Trees is only 10% because they keep them fires blazing. Domestic tranquility. Let's medicate and we feel the breeze. Burn the trees and we hunt with ease without maple soaks and hickories. Native Americans settle the land and the prairies are evidence of a defect. Nothing is stressful as life in the city. Get up on the highway because I'm going with Let's take a ride. Hop in the car, take a drive. To the prairie. Where the grass always green on the other side. At the prairie. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. On the adventure, let's venture through green pastures. At the prairie. Solidarity, nothing but smiles and laughter. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. In terms of the prairie, then there's this thing about invasive plants. Now, invasive plants are plants that are not indigenous to the prairie of America. I know in Missouri, there's a big problem with the honeysuckle that's taking over, eating up all the other plants that are in indigenous to the area. And then in the South, there was the kudzu. Kudzu is a plant that just chokes off everything that it encounters. And so, it's mostly at, when I was living in Atlanta, I saw the kudzu just overtake every single thing there. And so there was this big push to root the kudzu out. And what Dr. George Washington Carver taught, if you want to use a plant from the prairie very carefully without injuring the plant, you have to take your thumb and index and you push it into the soil and you try to find the root system. And then you pluck the plant and you leave the root system intact because a lot of the nutrients and the minerals and the vitamins are not so much in the flower or the stem as it is in the root of the plant itself. And that's why they call Dr. George Washington Carver the plant doctor. He knew exactly how much soil to put in a plant to make it thrive. If the plant needed more sand, he knew how to put more sand into people's plants. If he needed more sun, he would put it in the south path of the sun. If he needed more shade, then he would have a barn or a house that would shade the plants. And this is how all these plant nurseries came about. Proper use of how to use a plant to make it thrive and not die. I heard people say, I don't have house plants. Yeah, I just kill them all. And so you have to have a knowledge of how these plants operate in the natural order of things. And then you have the bison and its hooves. They're, the bison hooves were natural plows. So as the bison would go from one area of the prairie to the next, its hooves would grind and pound the minerals and the nutrients of the soil to regrow the prairie grass. Just around my house in University City, around Brittany Woods Middle School, off of 81st and Gay Street, and then you look the other way and you have Swarthmore, U-City has built all of these prairies. 
And so what I love to do on some of my morning and evening walks is to go and see these prairies that have been built by the university city uh, nursery departments. They have core knowledge of how to do this. And they knew that all of these plants were natural. And so when civilization came, the plants in the prairie began to be uprooted and destroyed. Like in places like Nebraska and Kansas, in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s, before the Civil War, people would stop and not go to California or Oregon. They would then build sod houses in Nebraska and Kansas. The way a sod house was built, I know people who go to all of these big, huge nursery stores and they buy sod. Well, it was a natural thing on the Great Plains. They would take the sod buster plow and the main plow with a John Deere. <laughs> no, not, it didn't work by gasoline and kerosene. It worked with a mule. You had a mule and a sod buster plow and you would take that plow and dig up the sod and you would stack the sod on top of one another like big, huge sheet cakes. And then when the sod house was built, after every rain, the roots from one section will go down to the next section, to the next section, until it reached the earth itself. That's how the side house stayed together. But then you had some other things that invaded your side house at night, things that lived in the soil before you made it into a house. Yes, snakes, rats, mice, a myriad insects, multitudinous in their form and complex their nature. They didn't care about your real estate. They would invade your house. So when you got up in the morning, before you put your boots and your shoes on, you turned them upside down and you shook them vigorously in case there was some big rodent up in your shoe or boot the night before they needed some warmth. That would wake you up quicker than two cups of black coffee. Speaking of rodents, Another thing that these industrialists found out when Lewis and Clark came back and reported to third president Thomas Jefferson on all the things they found on the great plains of North America, one was the beaver. The beaver being the largest rodent of North America. Now, the way this animal operates, he has those incisors. And so he chews down a tree to make the beaver dam. And it was a natural thing because the beaver dam would not only be a place where the animal lived, but it would also redirect the water flow across the prairie. And so some farmers who didn't want their water flow curbed would, what? Trap the beaver, almost trapped into extinction. As a matter of fact, they started making capes and hats out of the beaver pelt. And so this became a big industry in London and New York. Beaver hats and beaver capes. And so when the animal would chew down the tree, he wouldn't eat the wood, he wouldn't eat the bark, he would eat the substance underneath the bark called cambium. And that was the nourishment of the beaver. And if that animal did not chew down trees to make the beaver dam, those incisors from the bottom and the top of his mandible would grow, lock his mouth shut, and the bottom incisors would go through the roof of his mouth, puncture his brain, and kill him. So he has been ordained by nature to chew down the tree. Now, when he chews the tree, he has to sit back on that big flat tail. It was like a, a rocking chair that Miss Susan wanted me to sit in a little while ago. But <laughs> that was the tail that the animal sat down. And it was a rudder. When the animal jumps into a lake or a river, 
the beaver tail was a rudder that pushes them across the water. And so the beaver pelt, when it was used in New York and in London, became a fashion phenomenon. In the meantime, this animal was trapped to near extinction. And the only thing that stopped the beaver from becoming extinct in the Americas, the silkworm. People found out that in, in China, there's this worm that can create silk. And the silk became hats and capes now for the aristocracy. And so it was a fashion change that stopped the largest rodent from North America from being extinct. There are so many things that happen that we need to understand about the natural order of things. People was, was hating the wolf and they started killing off the wolf. And when they killed off the wolf, what happened? You had more rabbits and more deer proliferate. And so there's this balance of nature that we have to understand. And we cannot talk about science being more powerful than nature. I know some people think that science is the one and all, the alpha and the omega, but it is nature that rules. And so the natural balance is what we look at when we view all these things across the Great Plains and how things come and they go. And speaking of coming and going, I have come, now I must go. Thank you for listening. And last but not least, we want to give a very special shout out to the Stitchcast Studio sponsors. Stitchcast Studio Season 2 in 2021 is sponsored by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund three-year grant from 2020 to 2022, Arts and Education Council, PNC Grant, and Lush Corporations, the Charity Pot. Peace in the Prairie is presented with support from Missouri Arts Council, a state agency which receives support from the state of Missouri and the National Endowment for Arts. Additional support is provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, Missouri Foundation for Health, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2020, Stewart Family Foundation, and Kranzberg Arts Foundation. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches. Story stitches.